it's one thing you know to be true and you know will be true in the future because it doesn't rely on a group of politicians or people to make those decisions and it's coded in software and mathematics that's why i love bitcoin because it always has my back and i can trust it and i know that it'll never change JP, thanks for being on the show. Would be great if you could introduce yourself to the audience. Hi guys, my name is JP Barrick and I've been Bitcoin mining since 2016 and got into Bitcoin in 2013 when Bitcoin was only $70 a coin. I'm super excited to be here today to share my knowledge on energy and the Bitcoin mining space and what it means to run a company in a volatile industry. Wow, that's awesome. Um, I mean, you were very young when you founded a mining store and um, like when you were in your 20s, I guess. Yeah, yeah, when I was even earlier, I think I'm 26, 25 now, almost 26. And so I think I was like 16, 17 years old oh, when wow. I founded Mining Source. So very, it was a it was a young entrepreneurial endeavor that has stuck with me. Wow, that's um, that's awesome. And how does it feel to be a young entrepreneur in this, like in the mining business? Um, like share your a little bit of your experience, your challenges, your lessons learned. Yeah, I would say it's a very unique business that is 24-7. So there's always, you know, the ability to having to run servers. You're not like a nine to five store. And it's very remote and unique because you're in these remote areas that I would have never have gone to in the country if I didn't get into Bitcoin mining. Um, and so I've had the ability to meet some amazing people, to feel, to you know, see amazing places, to travel to these places with stranded energy. And it's also helped me grow as an individual and as an entrepreneur because of the volatility in the industry and because of the lack of, let's say, government incentives or banking. It's a very cash heavy business or it has been in the past, especially as I've journeyed through it. And so for me, it's always been a growing opportunity to experience the ups and downs of great cash flow. You know, Bitcoin's at 60,000 or, oh no, Bitcoin's at 15,000. And how do you run the business differently? And how do you run the business the same so that that bottom line doesn't affect you as much? So it's been a journey, but I'm excited to chat about it more. Well, that's awesome. And I mean, like, I guess by now everyone knows that Bitcoin mining is a very um, volatile business and it goes ups and downs with Bitcoin price. Obviously, it's highly correlated with Bitcoin price. And we know that there's bull run and bear markets every few years. Um, and like, I'm just curious, you know, like you've been through a couple of these. Um, how, how has it been for you and how you've been able to actually not survive but just grow during these um bear markets and uh, to manage your business so for me it's been a journey of you know not only running a business but finding out what works and so when you're starting off as a business and i would say as a younger entrepreneur you know you're looking for you know big dollar signs and that could be you know it's a different number for everyone especially when you're younger you're starting off with like okay for me, I was selling graphics cards. So I would sell graphics cards from Newegg to other people online and then deliver them the graphics cards. And we would take a margin on that. And that was a great business to be in. And there was times when the market was, you know, bull market when people were buying and there was the prices were moving up faster and faster where you could make a lot of money on the spread between the harbor prices and what the buyer would pay. But then you realize, 
it's really hard to build a business on one-time hardware sales. And so you wanted to find, or we wanted to look for, how do you build a reoccurring customer base? How do you build someone who's gonna pay you through a bull market and through a bear market so that you can build the team necessary and then I can build the team necessary to uh, to grow the organization. And so that's been a journey over the years, but when you, you know now where we are today is you have those core customers that you're taking Bitcoin risk with you have those customers that are going to be taking Bitcoin risk and you're not going to take any of that risk. And that's like a traditional hosting model where you're just providing services. And then you have a model where you're able to make hardware sales or infrastructure sales or facility sales. And that's really packaging up all the knowledge and expertise that we generated and gained over the years to deliver an end product to a customer. And it's been a crazy ride of learning how to, you know, manage the pricing, manage the cash flow, and then manage the liability of buying this equipment. Because sometimes it doesn't show up and sometimes, you know, the project does work out, but then the energy company is delayed and then people are mad that you're not mining. And because mining is such a fast paced industry, you have to ensure that all three of those things are thought about and not only the good times, but also what the bad times could look like. Well, that's awesome. And you mentioned the great, great point that um, like, and I guess like diversifying your business to bring in not just Bitcoin mining revenue, but like bringing cash flow from the fiat um, and like those uh, customer facing basically businesses that they require some infrastructure and you guys provide to them, um, which brings me to our next question, which is like, tell us a little bit of your services that you offer to your customers in in a mining store and what is basically your mission and why you offer these services and what are you trying basically to achieve? That's a, a great question. So when I started the mining store, but even before that, I had a company called Steam Pool, where the intention was people could get Steam gift cards by running a miner on their, gra on their graphics card on their computer, and they wouldn't have to worry about setting up a wallet or having to set up how to even learn how to mine. And so for, from the beginning, it's always been about democratizing the access to passive income through computers, through computation. And so a simpler way to put that is like giving people access to Bitcoin mining and allowing them to use energy that's stranded to make an income from this uh, asset base or this new opportunity called Bitcoin mining. And so that became just fascinating with me that you could have computers work for you and also that you didn't need permission. You know, you didn't need to go out and have to get a data center contract or a contract for a large you know a large customer to host their website on your platform you just went plugged in your machine and the bitcoin network started paying you immediately and so with that we built mining store and I started mining store in, as i mentioned 2016 and we scaled from just a shopify store to a full white glove solutions where we have um, managed mining program which is where we profit share with clients and they own the machines and we help run their machines and take a percentage based on the revenue generated. Then we have our hosting clients, as I mentioned, which are flat clients that are going to be getting a flat monthly fee that allows us to build stability in the business, focus on covering our infrastructure debt payments, cover our um, employee costs like HR, the people that aren't connected to the machines directly. And then we have almost a build as a mine my, or mining as a service or build a mine as a service where we'll help large family offices, institutions come in build their own mining facility where they own the land and then run that for them and take them through the process of permitting to building to electrical and networking and operating all at the same time. 
Well, that's great. And I guess like um, every Bitcoin miner is like different and they're unique in their own way. And that's what makes this um, this industry very um, like exciting and also innovative. Um, now, people always think that Bitcoin mining is just like plugging in some machine and mining Bitcoin. But as you said, there's a lot of uh, other aspects and like uh, adjacent industries to Bitcoin mining. Um, now, my question is like, JP, a lot of young people want to get into this business um, because it's like a hot topic now and they see that it's actually the industry is so early but it's actually been evolving through past couple of years especially with a lot of a lot of companies going on um public so now my question is what is your advice to these young ambitious people who want to get into bitcoin mining this volatile industry and like how how they can get into it because as you said it's a very cash heavy business and not everyone at a young age has that like level of investment right to start their own Bitcoin mine, um, but yeah. how they can how they can get involved. So I'll go back and share a little bit of my story about how I grew my operation, and that provides some insight into you know what someone else could potentially do. So before I even started leasing a warehouse to run a Bitcoin mine, I started by installing an extra circuit in my parents' house. Now, if you're an individual at your house and you're running, and the energy cost might be a little bit higher you really need to take that into calculation because energy cost is, is going to matter so much when it comes to your profitability and it's going to matter tremendously in how many coins you can hold that you don't have to sell and so it's very important that you have energy under for retail under five under six cents if you have it above that i wouldn't get into mining in your house but what i did first was i plugged in an extra outlet in my circuit breaker and ran an extra cable so I could run two individual 20 amp circuits. So 20 amp circuit, you can usually run one or two S19 miners on that. And you can run, I was running GPUs back then, but that allowed me to let's say run four S19s. Now four S19s today is about $10,000. So it's still a significant investment for you know someone getting started. From there, what I did is instead of going out and getting a warehouse, I went to Home Depot and I bought one of those sheds where you can build a shed yourself and you get the kit. And so we built a shed up and it was about $3,000 for the shed. We got an exhaust fan and a louver and put a da two data center racks in there and a brand new service to my house into my backyard, into this shed to power these Bitcoin miners and they were at that time GPU miners. So that's like the next level that someone can go to without having to take too much risk. And with that, you can spend anywhere between, let's say, twenty dollars to $100,000 on building out that shed and filling it with Bitcoin miners. So it's definitely still significant. And then from there, you're going to look at, okay, how do I get raw land next to a substation, an industrial park? And you want to ensure that your power rates are now even cheaper than six cents because you have other costs like taxes and rent and uh, insurance that you need to get when you're not running in your house. And so now those costs, you need to make sure your energy costs are below five cents at least minimum, unless you won't be able to be profitable in the bear market. And so for that type of project, it's going to be about a hundred thousand, potentially even up to a million, two million dollars, because you can fit a lot of servers in that small area. It really comes down to how much power capacity you have which is all you know scaling it and then making sure your cooling is good those are little things where you want to take a slow walk so that you're make sure that you're doing the calculations right of like okay for each bitcoin miner i need this much cooling and if a thousand if ten thousand if a hundred thousand dollars is out of your range what i would suggest is you know invest in bitcoin hold bitcoin buy the coin but don't necessarily worry about um going out and trying to make money one of the best advice i would say to people is like 
just sitting and doing nothing is a lot of people's advice in their career when they're older. They're like, you know, I was always thought I had to be doing, 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 investing, trading. But the way to make money sometimes is just to get into a trade and hold it and wait and not worry about that trade, you know, making you money today. Because if it's the right trade over a long enough period of time, it'll have exponential returns. And Bitcoin is. Well, that's um, that was like great, um, JP. And I guess like this this is like a lot of people's question that how how to expand a Bitcoin mine. And there's like three levels. You start in the, your basement, and then you move out to the garage, and then eventually you have to move to somewhere bigger. But um, that's great. And I guess like this brings me to our next question of um, like someone just someone once said Bitcoin is uh, like people's money, fiat is government's money, right? And we would love to see like these young people start investing in Bitcoin as a either like store of value or like a medium of exchange to eventually be able to pay and buy stuff with it. Um, but like there are barriers to this adoption, right? And we as Bitcoiners believe in Bitcoin and believe in the long-term value of this great asset. So my question is, how do you think we can accelerate that adoption? So people trust this great asset and buy it and as I said, hold it if they want to have an investment or they kind of just use it as like a currency? Yeah, it's, it is a, it is a great question. And one of those that, you know, is at the depth and core of a Bitcoiners argument. And what I would say is as time has changed, I've kind of changed how I perceive Bitcoin and its use cases. You know, when I, back in the day, there was something called purse you could buy from Amazon with Bitcoin. You know, I bought a laptop for 10 or 11 Bitcoins and then boom, you know, that laptop is now worth a hundred grand. And it's like, why did I spend my Bitcoin to buy this app MacBook, you know, that I gave to a friend even. So it's like, you know, you can buy these things like shirts and pay for coffee and services. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but it's just a little bit less convenient than Apple Pay, than using a credit card. And so I think when we think about using Bitcoin, we have to go more to the store of value conversation, which is really why are we buying this asset? In the US, I don't, in traveling abroad, you know, in most developed countries, I don't have an issue transacting and paying for my goods and services and I don't necessarily see the built-in fees. So the fees aren't affecting me in a way where it's visible. And so when it comes to Bitcoin as a store of value, if you were to buy the Bitcoin and you, as you invest in Bitcoin and just hold that Bitcoin, there becomes a point where you can use it without selling it. And the way you know that would be working is, is using something like Aave, using it as collateral, because Bitcoin at its core is a great store of value, but it's also one of the best forms of collateral. And you don't necessarily understand how important collateral is until you become older, until you become understanding what it means to buy property and what it means to build a business and what it means to defer liability. And so by having a, this pure form of collateral and using it as just a just collateral where, hey, I want to buy a house. I have this great uh, appreciating asset. I don't want to sell it. Let me put that down as collateral to get a loan in dollars to buy a house. So I think that's how younger people should be thinking about Bitcoin is. Let me build my gold stash, knowing that when I'm 30, when I'm 25, when I'm getting married, instead of having to go and uh, you know save dollars every day to pay for my wedding or to buy my future house, I want to save in a currency that's going to store its value, which is Bitcoin. 
that currency is going to appreciate over time, over a long enough time span. And then in that future, for that future event, I'm going to lend against that Bitcoin to pay for that event, or I'm going to sell a portion of that Bitcoin to pay for that event. So that's how I view Bitcoin today and how I view using it. Yeah, great point, um, JP, especially with the inflation and printing money that is happening like almost everywhere and the currencies are being devalued everywhere in the world. I guess that's the, it's not a option anymore. It's a necessity for young people to invest their money in, in something like Bitcoin, right? Now, let's talk a little bit about your operations. Um, you mentioned earlier that Bitcoin mining has taken you to some remote places. Um, do you currently have a uh, operation running in remote areas that you can tell us about? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it all depends what you define remote. You know, these areas have a thousand people in the city next to it. You know, there's it's farmland. It's not something like Antarctica or, you know, Alaska, where yeah. we're very, very remote, but it is a a rural area. And yeah, we have multiple operations in Iowa and we're scaling across uh, the Midwest. And what we do is we focus on working with utilities who have excess infrastructure that they funded through USDA government loans with cheap interest rates to build out to support the grid resiliency. We then come in and we say, hey, what space do you have available? And at what rate can we, negoti can we negotiate a rate that works for both of us? And that's how we locate the facilities. And then we build them out. We get the zoning and permitting changed or we, and we sign a lease contract. But yeah, we have facilities in Iowa. And over the years, you know, jumping around from North Carolina to California to Oregon to Washington. But now at Mining Stores Korea, we're focused on the Midwest uh, because of the nature of the power market, because of the nature of the wind, how much wind is being built there and how windy it is overall. And because we're seeing that one thing about Iowa is there's no data center property tax in Iowa and there's um, sales tax rebates on the energy that you use. So there are some tax incentives which keep massive data centers like Facebook and Microsoft there as well. Um, and so that's why, you know, the Midwest, the rural area where we're building out in each facility, it's pretty simple. It's a you know, small one acre plot of land. We put storage containers on there to store machines and store the boxes. Then we run the machines and mining containers. And then we have a work area for our technicians and, and the bathroom. And that's really the whole site. Uh, so we try to keep our overhead low and we ensure that the facilities are modular and can be easily uh, deployed without doing too much impact to the local environment. Well, that's great. Um, like my next question is about like, how do you see the impact of your business being in these small remote areas? How, how does your business impact the economy of that area? Like job creation, tax revenues, like there's lots of opportunities like around these um, like data centers and Bitcoin mines. Could you tell us like a bit about your impact? Yeah, so the impact is, you know, we are one of the only data center IT projects in these areas that are hiring full time IT professionals that are working on site. And so we're coming into one facility. Let's say it's a five megawatt facility. We're hiring three full time people that are local staff technicians of different levels paid anywhere from 22 to almost $35 an hour, depending on their you know, level of expertise. And then they're living in the local town. So if they're coming from out of state, they're moving in, they're, they're paying uh, property, you know, property tax or paying rent there. Um, they are buying cars, they're shopping at the gas station, at the grocery store, and they're 
three staff members are going to be living on close to that site within 30 minutes. Then you have all the construction work, you know, local electricians, the all the permit fees for the local community. Every month we pay, you know, on a five megawatt site, it's about a thousand dollars in just county taxes and city taxes of another thousand dollars. So those local cities have a bigger tax base from us building this Bitcoin mine. And then we're using energy that would be, you know, either gone to waste or not or is or is less, you know, price less efficient. And so because we're using this block of energy, it lets the utility um, reserve power for a set rate in the day ahead markets. And then if the price of energy is too high, we're actually turning off, which is ensuring that other consumers can buy the energy and that we're not pushing up the energy prices in the area, but are lowering them. So those are some of the things that we see, you know, I'm not even past the internet service you're buying, you know, the, the pest control, all these little things that add up, the landscaping, the truck drivers, the crane operators. You know, when you start building anything in life and you're using energy and concrete, it creates community, it creates value, it creates an economy that's bustling. So we're seeing that in these places that are some of them are opportunity zones. Some of them are manufacturing has left that area. We're coming back and we're rejuvenating it in a small way, but in a way that's uh, decentralized and around the communities. And I mean, I hope to see a lot of these projects happen in around U.S. and Canada, because here we also believe in the power of the community and bringing business to these kind of remote areas, as you call it. Um, so uh, let's talk about the big elephant in the room, <laughs> which is the having event coming up in like less than a year. So um, how do you see the landscape of Bitcoin mining business um, changing before and after having? Yeah, so I mean, the having event is when, you know, the amount of Bitcoins that are mined every 10 minutes is cut in half. And that happens every four years. And historically, we've seen that after the having event, there's been a price rise because the amount of supply is less and the amount of uh, Bitcoin available to be purchased is less. And so that does push the price up, but it doesn't come instantly. You know, it could be a year later, it could be three months, six months later. And so we have this point in time in the having event where we are not profitable. And that's a lot of miners. And the reason why is because you go from, let's say, the, the 6.25 Bitcoins now to three Bitcoins today, and it takes the difficulty about a month to adjust down. And so last time we saw like a 15% drop and then another 15% drop, which means mining profitability increased by almost 30%. And it takes time for the network to slow down and realize that these new blocks are taking longer. Now, in this having event, uh, we saw last time again, we saw the S9s turn off. Now, I do think a very, you know, I do think there are S9s still running and a few amounts of them, but there are still a significant uh, amount of petahash or exahash in S9 still. So those should be off and be off completely for almost every operator unless you have free power or power under, let's say, half a cent, which is very, very few, if any, miners at scale. Then from there, you have your old S17s, your old what's minor like M20s. Now, there was a lot of those deployed. And those are there's a lot of them still running and around. And so I expect all of those to be turned off as well. Now, the S19s and that series with the 34 joules per terahash series, those are probably going to be breaking even, barely making buy at industrial power rates at four cents, at four and a half cents. And that means that those operators are really just running to collect the Bitcoin, hoping that it's going to go up and also to keep fees generating, to keep in their contracts that they're committed to. 
the XPs will still be profitable and they'll be the ones to continue being profitable. And most people, it's a lot of work to unrack and unstack and put a machine in a box and recycle it. And so they'll just keep them on the rack, waiting for them to either be replaced by a newer machine when it's ready or to be turned back on when profitability increases, which when it does, uh, you see this kind of jolt of profitability jumping up, new miners coming on, profitability jumping up, new miners jumping on. And that only happens during the Bitcoin bull run while there are a bunch of additional miners being installed by pubcos and by everyone saying there's such a great opportunity to take advantage of this mining rush. But what's important is then is that you're not buying overpriced machines that are then not able to acquire enough Bitcoin to pay themselves back. So my result is make sure you're in energy contracts that don't require you to buy power 20, you know, all the time. And they're called taker pays where you either take the power, doesn't matter, you still have to pay for it. And make sure that you have market contracts where you're paying for the power you use, where in this event happens, you can turn off your miners and not be hit with a massive bill. Well, that's a, that's a great point. Um, like biggest cost for my Bitcoin miners is their energy cost. And um, especially after having like these economies are going to change a lot. Um, and it would be interesting to see the dynamics. Um, but what is like, I know that the rewards are going to cut in half, but like ordinals and these projects like BRC20s and Bitcoin blockchain uh, that just happened recently showed that there could be another dimension to the revenue for Bitcoin miners. Uh, I'm just curious to know what is your take on that? Uh, there definitely could be, you know, fees supporting the network. And I'm not saying it's not going to be crucial to the improvement of the network. And I think in the future, it's even more crucial. But just right now, we haven't seen that sustained usability, sustained fee structure. Um, you know, when if we're seeing that coming into the halving, that's a great event. If we're seeing, you know, BRC20 continuing to grow and these other ordinal contracts using SATs, then every miner is in support. But sadly, right now, it's just like it's not enough to really hold us. I think it got up to maybe, you know, a significant percentage for a short amount of time. But if you look over 30, 60, 90 days, that's probably going to be less than 5% of a block subsidy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It was like a wave that um, uh, it was just for a short amount of time. But it's just for me, like it, it brought a little bit of hope that we're not just tied to the block rewards. There could be another dimension, but that they have to be able to sustain this level of transactions uh, to make a difference in the revenue for miners. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, JP, I guess that's, this is a wrap. Uh, I mean, that's it for my questions. I just have one last question for you. And, um, uh, I know we Bitcoin miners have like thousands of reasons to love Bitcoin, but if you were to summarize, why do you love Bitcoin in just a few sentences? Um, what would that be? I love Bitcoin because it levels the playing field for anyone to create money that's backed by energy and that's fair and that will never be taxed without your representation. You'll never be inflated away. You have control over the monetary policy of Bitcoin. It's one thing you know to be true and you know will be true in the future because it doesn't rely on a group of politicians or people to make those decisions and it's coded in software and mathematics. That's why I love Bitcoin, because it always has my back and I can trust it. And I know that it will never change in a way that is going to make it uh, non-beneficial for you as the consumer or me as the Bitcoin holder. 
that's awesome. <laughs> Why do you love Bitcoin? Well, I love Bitcoin because it's a freedom money and, and there is no one um, controlling it. And it just gives me the freedom to transact with whomever I, whoever I want without anyone controlling it or holding it. It's actually transforming energy into money that people can use, right? And they can buy their future freedom with it. So that's why I love it. Um, I love well, it, buy their future freedom. That should be a shirt. Bitcoin, yes. buy your future freedom or buy your freedom's yes. future. <laughs> Great. Thank you, JP. Thanks for being on the show. If you have any final words to the audience or anything else you want to mention, please go ahead. Yeah, I'll mention that. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at John Paul Barrick and TikTok at JP Barrick. Um, I lost my Twitter account, but I'm get, working on getting it back. So Twitter is at Mining Store to follow our company. Um, MiningStore.com is the URL where we have all the information about the website. Um, I'll never ask you for Bitcoin or crypto. So if you hear impersonations and scammers, they're not me. If they're telling you about a trading program, that's not me. The only way I'll collect or ask you for money is through MiningStore.com or through a Reg CF, which is um, regulated crowdfunding, lets anyone invest in Bitcoin mining company that I'm starting at $100. And that should be out in the future. So if you're interested in learning about that, you can search my name plus wefunder.com and find out more about how to join that crowdfund. But I appreciate the time today. This was amazing. And thanks again.